I'm Meredith. I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to The Writer's Story. And uh, today uh, we are excited to welcome a mystery novelist, uh, Rachel Housel Hall, and her newest book, um, They All Fall Down, just came out last month, and we're excited to talk to her about her book and her journey and <laughs> how she became a writer and all that stuff. Um, but first, we just wanted to check in with each other on how our writing is going. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Meredith? How's it going? <laughs> Awkward. Uh, no, um, it is, it's going, it's, it's going pretty well. I am making progress, which is something I could not report on last month. Um, I'm revising. And one of the things I was just thinking about, and I just wanted to check in with Kristen, see what you're thinking about, but, um, is about main characters, and I think every writer should be in a book group, um, and my book group had a little discussion, and, and one of the women in the group said, if I don't like the main character, that she had a hard time finishing reading, liking a book. Yeah, so book group, <laughs> this is um, folks reading books together. Like reading book books, yeah, a book club. Yeah, so it's not, yeah, it's this not, is not reading someone else's writing and saying, I hate your main character. <laughs> that would be, that would be wounding. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think it's a really common um, feeling, a really common problem. Uh, or Well, I think it's, it's something that writers struggle with for sure. Uh, and yet, of course, we have to have antagonists if we've got a decent protagonist to give some challenge and provide some obstacles. But what happens when the main character, the protagonist, is someone that may be off-putting, dislikable, maybe even disgusting? I think about the protagonist of Lolita, the pedophile. Um, not exactly. Someone uh, you want to bring home to dinner. Hang out with, with your children. <laughs> yes, <not> exactly. <laughs> Hire as a babysitter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I don't think I'm working on something where I have a disgusting protagonist. I think I would maybe have a hard time spending time with someone like that. But um, I do have someone who has committed a crime, and I and I do kind of grapple with that. Like, how much motivation? Like. You know, is it okay to steal bread if your mother's dying of hunger? Like, are, like, are, do we have certain things that we're okay with? Yeah. Like, a thief is okay if they're sympathetic, but not if they're, I don't know. Yeah, I think that um, as long as, so I think also about the protagonist of Gone Girl, who was unlikable. But the truth is that as a reader, you didn't necessarily know that until you were a good, solid way hooked into that book, right? When we discover that she is um, unbelievable. Right? Oh, I had it for a second. I, had, I was thinking girl on a train. Sorry, oh, I was in a yeah, different girl a... book, and I was like, <laughs> no, I found her really annoying. No, I think I, I, think I know what you're saying. Um, I think there were some indications that she might be an unreliable narrator because you couldn't actually believe both the husband and her because yes. they had two very different yeah. stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I don't think you dislike her heavily. She doesn't really do anything horrible except maybe 
torture her husband by disappearing. And yeah, and it's only as the story unfolds that you come to see just what right. ills she has done. But back to the, can you have a protagonist that is overtly unlikable and still have a successful book? And I'd like to say yes, because I just think a good challenge is a good challenge. <laughs> but I do think it's an, a, a sort of an uphill battle because we naturally want to read, I think readers naturally want gravitate toward a protagonist that they can identify with and they identify with if in their best selves and who might make them better in a way. Right, right. And I um, mm -hmm. and I had grappled a little bit because um, I have multiple characters and who is going to tell my story and having multiple narrators, but not everybody gets to talk. And I had kind of a, uh, based on a woman that I used to work with who was very tall, very awkward, and and would always work on large, um, uh, not, was, I, I think I might have made it wrong. I think there was, there was like needlepoint needle point projects that were like, I don't know, Monet's water lilies. I mean, they wow. were so elaborate that yes. you just couldn't even, it's but it was impressive. like also a sweater. I mean, I don't okay. know. It was like, it was just so bizarre. So I kind of based her on there, and I think uh, one of my readers said, oh, you should have this other person who's young, attractive be your narrator not this mm. person because people will be repelled by her and I found her such a compelling character yes that it was I think it was a mistake for me to listen <laughs> yeah and then change to the other because um, she wasn't interesting to me and, yes. and I wanted that really interesting voice like who because I think that's the thing when you have there's somebody that you you sort of base a character on it's often because you have a lot of questions or you're yeah. really intrigued or you're like what is that person's point of view why do they obsessively yes. needlepoint paintings or whatever yeah. it is yeah yeah and that somehow you're going to get to the bottom of that by writing a version of them or yeah I don't know yeah and I think about um I mean I think we also read and as much as we may want to read a character that we like and want to be like. I think we also read, maybe even at least as often, we'd love to hear what you think out there, listener in listener world, um, somebody who has also has some real problems, setbacks, some um, qualities that are problematic. And then we can, with them, can overcome those or come to terms with them. And that that's a really beautiful narrative moment of redemption, maybe. Um, and then I guess this, maybe what we should ask is what makes a protagonist, what do we mean by an unlikable protagonist? Right. And I think it's, it's so hard. It's so hard. I mean, I, I don't know if, if the story, I mean, we were actually talking about American marriage and her comment was, I didn't really like any of the characters except for this dad, um, an adopted father of the man, because they were all super flawed and they weren't very, um, they were, none of them were faithful to one another. They mm -hmm. were all cheating on their mm -hmm. spouses and, you know, not behaving Mm -hmm. um, and and also, you know, be hurting people. And mm -hmm. so I think that was what she was reacting to, sort of yeah. the behavior of being like, I wouldn't want to be with that person. And now I'm sort of forced to spend yeah. several hours in a book with them. And I don't like mm -hmm. being in their head because I don't like how they're acting. But I think people yes. have different things that are 
a breaking point, like someone who would be abusive to animals or someone who would be abusive to children or whatever, yes. that would be seriously unlikable and maybe unredeemable in their eyes. But yeah, yeah. I also think about how um, in a good story, a protagonist faces seriously difficult obstacles, challenges, whatever, setbacks. And in the course of that, we as readers develop sympathy for them. Kind of no, no matter what their profile, what they look like, or what maybe even they've done in their past. So for me, a character is rich enough to be intriguing, interesting, um, compelling to take me through a book if they are um, uh, I, I think of words like whole and real which but I'll try to be a little bit more concrete but definitely if they face uh, problems with with some kind of characteristics that are if not admirable at least intriguing Right, but I think, and that makes sense with the the rest of the things you know about that character. Yeah, but I think maybe what you're also getting at is for a character to be well-rounded and interesting, they probably also have to be flawed. Yes. Because I mean, there's no one more boring than like Cinderella. <laughs> the, you know, quite the frankly, saints. The, saints. the saints, or you know, or all the females in fairy tales. They are yes. extremely boring. They're, none of them are. I mean, maybe in the original German ones or whatever, they're much more interesting, but. They become sort of characters of what being a woman is. You know, you passively wait. Uh, somebody comes and rescues you. You're not mean to anyone, so therefore right. the magic works. You know, you're you born know. lovely. You're gorgeous. Um, yes, and you, you know, but give hang your somebody, hair out the window. Give me something <laughs> with somebody with some serious deformity or. <laughs> Whether it's character or physical, but well, what I think I mean by flaws is not even just a physical flaw, but yes. that we have yes. aspects of ourselves that we would prefer not to, but they also make us really interesting. Maybe we have a temper, or yes, uh, we you know get flustered and middle of cooking and yes. leave out ingredients or whatever it is. We yes. have these flaws, but that actually makes us, I think, a more lovable human. Absolutely, and I think as a reader, then I maybe identify. More because I'm like this is not some perfect yes yes I have plenty of flaws <laughs> and I'd like to know that the protagonists do too but the other thing about a flawed protagonist is then you have some material on which to hang some of your story how do they deal with that flaw and I, I think about the manuscript that you've been working on wherein a character has these fears and how do you grapple with fear Right. Is a really, um, that's a very compelling narrative line. Well, it's about vulnerability, I think, too. But also that, um, you know, I, what I always tell my students is you have to torture your main character. I mean, that is part of how someone shows who they are. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't just say, oh, nice character, I love you. Yeah. Let's keep you safe, because then no one actually gets so, so perhaps Cinderella is like an incredibly brave, very strong, I mean, whatever, she cleans the whole house day in and day out, so she probably is very, very strong. She might be capable of doing amazing, heroic things, but the author never thought to put her in that 
situation. I mean, she could yeah, maybe lift a car off of a that. child or whatever. Yeah. I know they didn't have cars back then or whatever era that is. But she could do <laughs> a carriage. I mean, she could be a Joan of Arc. You know, we yes. just don't know because she's never tested. Yes. Yes. And, and yeah. yeah. All right. So take home message. You can have an unlikable character. <laughs> protagonist even bring them on <laughs> bring them on at least say that well yeah i think it's just being careful yes because right. i you don't want yeah. i don't know about repelling think, people yeah yeah but again self. i mean look at look at is humbert humbert um in lolita the pedophile uh it's a really um masterful job that nabokov did to create somebody that you would read and be interested in following his story. Right. Uh, so I think that's a that's a, a nice example. And then I also think about how, with villains anyway, of course it's important that they be the hero of their own story. Right. So even people who have these what we might call unlikable or, or repelling qualities or characteristics may not themselves see those. As, in yes. that way, and and then that can be also very. You might want to just keep reading on to find out what happens, what they do next. Right. It's a well, little bit like watching a train wreck. I think it's super important to make your antagonist a worthy opponent. Yes. Um, yeah. So if they're just one-dimensional evil, yeah, that's also it's just not. It's very uninteresting. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Well, I think we should go and maybe we can find out if, you know, Rachel also has some <laughs> yeah, insight into this. Insight Absolutely. into the uh, yeah. unlikable protagonist, yay or nay. Yes. And um, let's so go ring her up. To bring her on. Well, we're um, really excited to welcome Rachel Hazel Hall, um, and she has is a mystery author and we're going to let her talk about her whole writer's journey. Um, she has both a series set in Los Angeles um, with Lou Norton, um, her detective, um, and also a standalone that just published last month in April. Um, and I had the wonderful opportunity to meet Rachel last year. Yes. Last year at wow. the Festival of the Book. And um, we all went out, a bunch of mystery authors, <laughs> and had a great time. And yeah. it was just, I was just like, oh, no, she's going back to Los Angeles. Don't go away. <laughs> stay, stay. Um, and then I've had the pleasure of reading part of your series. I haven't had a chance to read your standalone yet, which I'm super excited about. But, um, and I just really loved the characters. I loved your depiction of Los Angeles. I feel like a lot of mysteries are set in Los Angeles, but you have a very different point of view. Um, oh, thank you. And so I really, really enjoyed it. So I just wanted you to talk a little bit about how you became a writer um, and your journey through publishing. Right. Okay. Thank you again for inviting me to talk about my writing story. Um, I was that kid like most writers who just surrounded herself with books and pens and anything that can be written on. And so I, you know, I love stories. I love reading. Um, I read a lot and I aged out of 
the things I was supposed to read early on, uh, mostly because, you know, I did read a lot. And also my older brother, my big brother, um, he went to prep school. And so he bought all kinds of, you know, advanced reading. So I'm, I'm reading the world according to Garp when I'm 11, 12 years old and have absolutely no idea what I'm reading, but you know, my brother read it and I want to be like him. And so I read it too. Um, my first, um, really big love of specific authors started around there, started around, um, junior high school where I fell in love with, um, Judy Bloom. Now I always um, read her stories, you know, Tiger Eyes and Deanie, but I was starting to cross over into the older books like Forever and Wifey. And I also love Stephen King because, you know, I, I I didn't sleep well as a kid because I liked going to the horror movies and growing up in the seventies, it's nothing but, you know, Exorcist and Jaws and Poltergeist. So I didn't sleep well at all. And like, as as a young child but I was fascinated with those stories and I loved Stephen King because of his stories I remember my big uh my first big Stephen King book was it and I think a lot of uh kids who start reading Stephen King start with it because it's about kids and it's about our collective fear of clowns but I also (laughs) loved uh, uh Stephen King because of his his uh how great he wrote Bangor, Maine. You know, growing up in Los Angeles, I didn't know what a Maine was, where was Maine, where the people who lived there. But reading Stephen King, you know, I got a sense, at least through his eyes, what this state that was always the last to, that I thought about when it comes to, you know, the 50 states in the Union. You know, I always think of Hawaii and Alaska before Maine. But, you know, I, I got to know this place. And so as a writer who admired Stephen King's sense of place and his great characters and how he could switch easy from making you laugh to scaring the heebie-jeebies out of you, I liked that. I liked his um, easy-to-understand language and stories. I liked his accessibility. And I always said to myself that if I ever wrote stories, I want to do that same thing. And so I went to school, uh, went to college for English American literature and, you know, got a degree in books. And although I still read a lot, I didn't see many contemporary stories that starred um, young black women like me. And I didn't see writers who were young and black like me, and especially in Los Angeles. And it wasn't until I started work at uh, Penn Center USA West where I met Jervy Turvalon and B.B. Moore Campbell and Gary Phillips, that I saw, you know, everyday uh, African-Americans who wrote novels. And those three I named, they wrote novels that were set in Los Angeles. So that was around 95, 96. And that like really excited me. And that's when I started to actively write, um, and try and write my first novel. And that first novel ended up being A Quiet Storm, which was published on the first anniversary of 9-11 by Scribner. And while, you know, I had the big five publisher uh, my first time out, again, it was published on September 11, 2002. And you could probably imagine how hard that was to kind of get people, you know, interested as here we are uh, still mourning our country. And now we're talking about 
more things than, you know, an African-American family uh, dealing with uh, mental illness in Los Angeles. So, you know, I had a hard time after that uh, getting getting a, a book deal, primarily because uh, we had moved as a, as a reading community into urban lit, you know, Sister Soldier and that kind of gritty, very East Coast idea of what it is to be black and then black and urban in America. Hmm. And my stories, while um, African-American, they weren't so-called urban enough. Wow. And yeah, I was, I was told that in letters that I, that I kept. And, you know, that was kind of upsetting because my story, you know, I've been black all my life and to hear, (laughs) and lived in Los Angeles, you know, all my life and in the parts where there are helicopters and gangs and to be told that my voice wasn't gritty enough. It's like, well, well, damn. Um, (laughs) so, but I kept, I kept writing. I, kept writing and I had, um, I was pregnant with my daughter. I was 33 and, you know, some listeners may have heard this, me say this before, but I was diagnosed with a breast cancer while I was pregnant wow. and writing kind of writing served as my therapy in many ways. As I was going through that, it gave me some sense of normalcy and some sense of control. So I, um, I had Maya and I also had a partial mastectomy while I was six months, you know, I was six months pregnant, wow. but she ended up, she was healthy and I was, I thought healthy until, uh, three years later, I had pre cancerous calcifications in my other breast. Mm-hmm. So my doctors at UCLA decided to put me on tamoxifen, which is a chemotherapy after taking it out and they put me in a high risk program. So now cancer has become a part of my life. And what I thought, you know, I thought I would not have to deal with any of this, of course, because, you know, I'm young and and relatively healthy. But now here we are talking about mortality and my high risk and, you know, all this, this stuff dealing with, you know, my life. And since we were talking about you know, what would happen to me if it came back again, this disease came back again, I started thinking about what it was that I actually wanted to write. Now, again, I am still writing with all this, but still not being published. And this is, uh, this kind of reality check on my mortality is what made me say to myself, well, what I really want to do is to write a procedural, a procedural where it's like Terry McMillan meets Walter Mosley. And I want her to be from L.A. and I want her to be, you know, me and my friends. And that's when I started writing Land of Shadows, the first in the Lou Norton series. And, you know, if cancer does anything, it helps gives you some type of clarity. And it gave me um, it gave me the bravery that I didn't know I had, because, you know, what's the worst that can happen when you're writing a book? You know, someone tells you no or someone doesn't read it. So I had done the real fear thing. And the fear thing is, you know, not like living. So I wasn't really I wasn't scared that, uh, you know, scared of of trying this new thing that I had no idea how to do this. But I wanted to do it. And so I took classes and I went to conferences and, you know, just really dip into crime and the mystery community. And since then, I've been there ever since. <laughs> and that's and, and I, I, I still do it, which is why I chose to tackle one of 
the stories that uh, mystery uh, readers love, and that's Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. I wanted to take that story and, 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 and make it mine. So here I am Ooh. still trying to be fearless. And that's, and that's your latest book, They All Fall Down. And, and I was really intrigued by that because um, that is just such, such an interesting book um, from Agatha Christie. And yeah. I actually wrote a screenplay one time for fun uh-huh. in which um, I took her basic plot. <laughs> uh-huh. and, um, but, it, but it was a reality show. Or if everyone thought yeah. they were on a reality show. Which and it is was what, just a blast to write. Yeah, uh, it is. And um, Miriam, the main character, thinks that she's being invited to the island because of reality show. Okay. I mean, the structure of the story, it, it it's going to live forever and ever because it's so easy to take it and make modernize it, um, shift it around. I believe. I mean, this year alone, there are. A, bunch of kind of locked room yeah. and then there were none kind of spinoffs because it is fun yeah it is fun because people are thinking you know with their own you know they've been invited for something for their own ego and then they find out no someone has invited them to knock them all off you yeah. know and that, it's such right. an interesting uh premise but it was quite freeing i have to say to have someone else's plot kind of worked out <laughs> although i did my own thing with it and i'm sure you do too we're not gonna you know just find a, a carbon copy you know because agatha christie does have a lot of flaws <laughs> she yes she does i mean down to the original titles of the oh, story yes shows just how you know very racist she was right and the characters um, too and i haven't heard so much because there isn't she doesn't have they don't have a lot of diversity in her little english villages um, no the main, no not at all yeah the main criticism i think i've heard is jewish characters oh yeah that too yeah, that too um, and so you yeah. know it was i'm sure it's a little ironic for for me to take a story with problematic two problematic titles who uh written by originally someone who was anti-semitic and here i am with you know, an African-American writer who has as her main character, a black woman, and I'm also doing it in first person. So it's really kind of, I'm just breaking it and breaking it some more. And, yeah. you know, it, 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 it works. Yes. <laughs> that is so cool. I love your bravery. I think that's the fun. I think that's the probably, <laughs> okay. probably the yeah. most fun Bra about bravery or stupidity. Wow. Oh, yeah. well, you're sharing with us some of that personal journey that has put that courage in perspective. Um, having gone through the health scares that you have, and it sounds like yeah. the enduring challenges of that, um, and how it had framed your writing and given gave you maybe some perspective that, um, yeah, has translated it into this wonderful work. Yeah, and what what the most wonderful thing about mystery and crime, you're you tend to write victims or people who have been hurt and who have had something taken from them, and by me going through yet this one more journey, yeah. it only you know it only deepens my writing because you know I've been scared and I've been. Um, my own body has been a mystery to me and still is a big mystery to me. And so all that just goes into 
into writing and wanting to get across the fear that we all have, whether it's your health or your economic situation or any of the isms, you know, it all goes in there. That's what, that's what good writing is, at least for me. I can tell when someone's been through something by just how convincing Mm -hmm. uh, their writing is, how persuasive, even if it's fiction, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. And you said that you really found the writing to be a part of maybe the medicine or the therapy along the way that you dove into that creative work is so... um, it's really intriguing. You brought up the the characters having to struggle. Meredith and I were talking just a little while ago about um, the characters with flaws and also um, unlikable protagonists. I wonder uh-huh. if you, you'd like to jump into that conversation. Yay, right. thumbs yeah. up, thumbs down. Well, what's funny is about um, what unlikable actually is. It's kind of like what's happening politically right now. If you have any type of opinion, if you're a woman and you have any type of opinion, or if you clap back at someone for being a jerk, if you exhibit any type of behavior that is not, um, you're not bending over or letting slights pass, you are considered unlikable. Mm -hmm. And while Miriam um, has some, unlikable qualities about her. She is, she embodies um, what, well, all the characters embody the seven sins, the seven deadly sins. Uh And she embodies envy, which, you know, uh, envious people are unlikable. There are some qualities in which I think are not necessary. They may be unlikable just because of the results. For instance, um, she's bitter, but she's bitter about, how her ex-husband has treated her. Her her ex-husband has had an affair uh, with her daughter's uh, dance teacher. Miriam has helped with this man through dental school. You know, she is the woman that we all know who has done so much and and has gotten screwed over. And so her reaction may not be, oh, that's fine. Oh, it's okay. It's like, no, this is not okay. I'm angry. Uh, Here I am. 40 something and divorced and you've turned our daughter against me, I'm pissed off. So while some people may say, Oh, she's the way she's acting is unlikable. The reasons why she's gotten to this place are very real. And I understand them actually. So it's, it's, it's by making her who she is on this page, I wanted to say something about what, you know, what is unlikable, especially when it comes to women. And then especially when it comes to black women, and I don't get to be honest without being considered, you know, angry, the angry black woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that what we were talking about a little bit is, you know, sort of that whole, the whole fairy tale characters, you know, are so Uh passive and that, you never, you don't test a character unless you, you give them some hardship. Right, and they, and right. It, so they never, they never really get tested. They just they wait never, around right. and someone they shows just, up and they get married and the end, you know? And yeah. so there's, there's nothing, the characters are never revealed. And so, but also, you know, having your characters have flaws, make it them vulnerable and make them more interesting. Yes. And give you yes. a story. Um, even with um, Lou, who, so you know so many readers love Lou there are some people who don't like Lou and so 
knowing that, it's like, okay, well, if they don't like her, then I'm really free to do whatever I want. <laughs> but, you know, there are some who just couldn't understand, for instance, with Lou's marriage and her going back and forth with Greg, they didn't understand how a strong woman, you mm-hmm. know, a strong woman could even deal with that. And it's like, well, how many strong women do you know that have vulnerabilities? I mean, yeah. Oprah Winfrey is one of the most powerful women, you know, in the world, but her, her and Stetman, that's a weird thing, right? <laughs> I mean, women don't always have it all figured out. Right. Yeah. We Not are every, Hillary yeah. and Bill. I mean, yeah. we can point to so many, yeah. you know, Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. So it's like, you know, that's because you're, you're a, a Viking over here doesn't mean that you're, you're strong everywhere, have it all together. Right. And that's, that's who we are. We have blind spots as women and I have blind spots and, and, and vulnerabilities. And that's what I, I, that's what I'm interested in. You know, yeah, you did. yeah, and I was going to say, you did such a nice job with Lou, too, of, of showing, um, you know, showing that, what, the unlikability thing where she's dealing with, you know, racist cops, you know, yeah. who are yeah. resentful of her promotion and resentful of, you know, her heroism and, yeah. and her intelligence. And so she's having to deal with that crap all day long. And it's, right, it's exhausting. Right. It's a quite exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting, and you're still not doing enough, right? Right. You, and again, like women, we still don't do enough. We can do it all, and then someone's like, well, you didn't do this over here. Yeah. And that's why yeah. we are all, like, driven to drink and cry and eat <laughs> lots of, you know, right it's because our job is just never <laughs> done. It's never yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, but I thought, I, I really loved what you said about um, anger, too. That I mean, this the anger of the women that you described is what we could say justified and yet it's not okay for a woman to show anger. So I think to, to um, write that out in a story that gives people a chance to sympathize with that character and understand like, and maybe come away saying, Hey, maybe we need to rethink how we handle this business of putting a woman down who speaks Uh up when something isn't right or she's been hurt that. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's a really important piece for our culture to continue to reckon with. Right. Yes. We're, we're not yes. done with it. Which is why having diverse characters in books matters. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, exactly. If, if we just read, I don't know, what were the, the Hardy Boys, you know, day in and day out. Right. Everyone, Everybody's Nancy Drew. Then. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, a white male, you know, whatever. Boy Scout. Yeah. Boy Scout and, yeah. And, it do, and we don't see any point of view. And I think... You know, we were talking about sort of unlikable characters. I've I've read books where I'm completely mystified by the character and by their um, by what they want, and they're making mistake after mistake, and you're like, oh my god, what a mess! But that's often the books you I think you learn the most about. Yeah, as yeah. long yeah, as long as the things make sense, the character is going to be really subjective, but needs needs to have those dimensions and believability as a well-rounded. Right. Um, I agree. Who can still have surprising qualities, right? But they still yeah, they have to make sense with the whole package. It has to make sense, yeah. Right. And it can't be a cop out. You just can't make her drunk just for the sake of a plot. You know, the yeah. plot line. We're gonna right. make right. her drunk so she blacks out, and then 
strange things happen. It's like, well, yeah, there are more things to someone being a drunk. There's a reason to why. You know, it's it's more than just a plot device. The whole unlikability thing. Yeah. So right. yeah, yeah. I mean, there, yeah. I think there's plenty of male detectives. Oh my god! Who are oh, incredibly yeah. unlikable? Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah! Oh my god! Oh, yeah. What a jerk! <laughs> well, he's a jerk. I was gonna. I was just gonna say that. Like, yeah, <laughs> but you know, they 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 get to do it. Yeah, you know, they yeah, get they to write those characters over and over and over again. But so, yeah, but all the yeah, women have yeah. to be hot and you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and never angry. Never angry, and always never. helpful. Helpful, always, always helpful. Um, someone, someone. When I read a great quote today, they said, um, "Women who stay at women who stay at home are married to millionaires, not because they're they're millionaires because they stay at home." And it was talking about the oh. women's labor. What? It was it was talking about how women's labor, you know, basically it's like, and it was it was yeah. about Kamala Harris and um some of the other women running for president uh-huh. um, and the, some of the recent having very, very supportive partners. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. And, kill and, me. And, but how that's actually incredibly important. Yeah. When, sure. um, uh-huh. you know, Bill would it's not be president asset. without Hillary and he was upfront oh, about yeah, that. I get it. Okay. But you know, I, I, I think it. that, so basically a lot of women will sacrifice their careers and everything. Oh, yeah. To support. Oh. Just like you were saying Lou was doing for her, you know, or, or Miriam was doing. I'm sorry. Miriam, Miriam was right. doing for her husband. Um, and then, you know, she's just left in the in the dirt. But, you know, in other. dirt, right. Yeah. But other people, that's how they end up made to rich men. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. They've helped oh, make yeah. them rich. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, Rachel, you're coming off of, are you finishing a book tour? Are you in the thick of things still? I am in the thick of things still. Um, mm. This weekend, I go to Minnesota for the <gasps> first annual Wordplay Festival. Cool. Um, yeah. So... I will, after that, get two weekends off, and then I start Reintroduce yourself uh, to your family. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, hey. Uh, But then in June, every weekend from there, I have, I think I have something, but it's all Los Angeles mostly. Oh, okay. And people... So I'll get to be be home for the most part after after this weekend. Nice. And I, I, you know, I have to, because I have a day job, um, I have to put everything on the weekend. So my tours tend to be a bit longer than, than others because I'm doing things solely on the weekend. What is your day job, Rachel? I am a fundraising writer for a hospital for Cedar sinai Medical Center. So I, I get to write, you know, in, in the daytime I get to, um, I take, the hard science and make it easy to understand for, yeah. for donors and for, and you know, that's, that's a good thing because, you know, I have to write on a dime for five days of a week to get paid. Right. Yeah. And so when I, when it comes down to me sitting down and writing novel stuff, I have a muscle I can sit down and yeah. even if it's bad stuff, I know how to sit and write for a spell. <laughs> and yeah. I also know how to take something as complicated as forensics and boil it down to its essence. You know, it's so the, the day job, well, I, I, you know, my dream is to, of course, write novels full time and not not suffer the, the re- repercussions of writing novels to, the, for full time. <laughs> I, I do like that one 
you know, I have a job where I'm giving back, using my talents to, to help patients and their families. And two, I get to use my talent to uh, help me with my other kind of writing. Yeah. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky that I get to do that. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a good yeah. attitude towards it, I think. And yes. I, I, I do remember sort of meeting a bunch of writers and the ones that seem to be the most successful in terms of output were often uh-huh. journalists. Yes, journalists tend to be. Yeah, oh, yeah. You have to, you know, once you've got your story, you've got your deadline, you go. You know, and there's not like right. agonizing over, oh, I just don't know. Oh, I don't uh, know today. what's going on. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not feeling it today. Exactly. <laughs> no, you get, it, get it done in the car, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the doctor's office, and it's just something you do. Yep. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes a big difference. I mean, I think. Yeah, it does. Um, if you cut out the agony. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you also Thanks. kind of see it as, while it's a personal thing, it's not personal. It is business. And so writing full time in your day job, it helps kind of uh, break some of the romance. No, this is yeah. a commodity. This is a product and I need to turn out this product. Right. So that, that helps in the hard times when, yeah. <laughs> um, when, I, when yeah. you're getting reviews and everything. Sure. I, yeah. I did. Um, I was um, on Seven Criminal Minds for, I don't know, I can't remember how many years, maybe five years, oh, I wow. don't know. Um, and Gary was, and Gary Phillips was on also. Uh-huh. So we all kind of got, it was sort of like, um, when I say, you know, you're, you're, um, people have the same publisher or like your siblings and then people have the same agent yeah. or like your cousins. And I don't know. I felt like we were all cousins. <laughs> we would run into each uh-huh. other and be like, hi, because you would, hey. you would write about the same topics and you would read <laughs> each other's stuff and try to support each other. So, um, but I did want to ask you just if, you know, before, you know, we wrap it up that, um, there has been a tremendous lack of diversity. I mean, not just in writing in general, but also in the mystery community. And I know um, yeah. that you have been really um, active in trying to support other writers, um, you know, the, with like the Twitter group, Crime Writers of Color. Right, um, right. You're on right. It. It's, 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 we're really, we're really um, trying. Crime Writers of Colors, uh, which, um, Kelly Garrett and Walter Mosley and a few others started has been very, you know, vocal and uh, sharing how important it is to make, especially mystery and crime, more diverse. Um, we have uh, great allies who aren't crime writers, uh, crime writers of color involved. Um, for instance, uh, last was that last week when the kerfuffle. Uh, the Writers Magazine came out with oh the article my about. Gosh. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, in addition to women saying, "Hey, we write great, fully realized women too," we had a bunch of uh, male allies come who forward. Also chimed in. Basically, and Writers so, Magazine. Yeah. This, Kristen, they, oh, they God, came was... at this article and was like, "How um, thriller writers write? You know, re- so, you know, really well-rounded women," and they interviewed two men. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and yeah. The, the women all going like for real. Like we'd for like real. to nominate some very amazing yeah. New York Times bestseller authors who are not men, right? <laughs> women yeah. who are right, very well-rounded women. Like it was just like, how do you do it? It was, Lee yeah, child. It was, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and so you know, we're we're doing the same thing with 
with a larger diversity. Um, I'm involved with, uh, I'm on the board of the Mystery Writers of America, which is, you know, recent, they're really trying to uh, diversify the board from not just color, but age, uh, location, all the rest of it. And which is good because we need to reflect the larger community and we don't want, you know, we don't want the organization to die because everyone's old and white. So the best thing to do is to <laughs> diversify for the, for the sake of the organization. And yeah. also mystery and crime. It, it's a shame that this is the genre that kind of, you know, makes a lot of money off of, you know, people of color, you know, right. the stories that mm. writers write about happen in our neighborhoods mm. or, Hmm. The women, the, the people who are killed in these stories are women. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, they, this needs to, this needs to change. And the people who are writing these stories should also be the ones who are actually living in these areas and living this life. So we, we, we've come far, but we have a ways, a ways to go Yeah, in and, terms and- of uh, contracts uh, publishers continuing series uh, written by uh, diverse writers, as well as getting on panels at our big conferences that are more than what it is to be a diverse uh, writer. Right. Yeah. You know, oh, I, right, I, yeah. I know things so other to than talk about your the writers, other, the other panel. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, put, put us on a whole bunch because then uh, readers will get to know us and will give us more of a chance uh, when it comes to their book buying budget. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there are lots of efforts right now between writers of colors helping ourselves, but at, uh, but also allies who are voicing their opinions and are reaching out and saying, put this person on the panel or, or buy this person's book and nominate this person instead of me. So, you know, it, we know that... It, I, I would say the larger body of writers knows that there's a problem and we're, we are all trying to work together and to solve it. Yeah, that is great. Very wow. yeah. positive energy. And Kelly oh, was at the festival this year and I hope the two of you yes. get to come together because I'm sure you don't get to hang out enough. <laughs> I know. She's in New Jersey. She sometimes gets out here to, uh, to LA and we saw each other, I think it was last month. And then we'll both be at, Baltricon okay. in uh, whenever that is October, October usually. And yeah. can people yeah. can people find out where they might see you on your website? Can they go to your yes. website? Yes, my website cool. www.rachelhalzell.com has um, has my current schedule my schedule up. <laughs> and You're you so can British. also follow me on my Twitter account uh, <laughs> at Rachel Hauzel. At Rachel Hauzel. Great. I, yes. I, I, I had a funny uh, experience with someone from Israel talking about Twitter, and he kept saying Twitter. And I loved it so much. I just thought we ought to all call it Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> and schedule. <laughs> so I'm, I'm putting awesome. a plug for that pronunciation yeah. <laughs> from here yeah. on out. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was just yes. a pleasure to talk to you and learn a little more about your story and your path to writing and um, your latest book. Thanks so much for taking well, the time. Well, thank you again for inviting me. I, I had a great time talking. We loved and, and having you here. Right. And we wish you all the best, Rachel. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'll take it. I need all the best that I can get. <laughs> well, I'm really excited that um, Rachel can join us tonight from Los Angeles. So we had a little bit of a time difference that we seem to manage <laughs> to find a time that would work. We were still, we're still awake. She was home for the day from work. Um, but it's really inspiring to hear about her journey and, um, I always find that very interesting when someone has something that happens like having cancer that makes them say to themselves, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Yes. What, why, why am I waiting? Yeah. Yeah. If, if I want to write, I should do this now. Yes. And I should take a big risk with my writing. And I loved that this was the genre and the subgenre that she landed in with such clarity. I also found that refreshing. It didn't have to be writing, say, out of the personal struggle of dealing with breast cancer, but instead was something that she was excited about from the time. It sounds like yeah. she was a little kid and yeah. reading ahead of her grade and reading these <laughs> right. and reading Horror. these mysteries. <laughs> oh, no. yeah. yeah. So so that's a real. Um, an admirable sense of integrity, I think, of recognizing that that's what do you what you write. love, do yeah. what you love to read, and I think that's always yeah. a good reminder because I think often people will say, "Oh, I should write X because yes. that's what sells." The vampire YA. Right. I don't care about vampires or zombies, but I will somehow make myself care. Yeah, of course. And it, and I don't. I think it's always um, easy to see through. Yes. I, I mean, yeah. You know, it's just like if you don't love that genre. You shouldn't write in it. Yeah. 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 And it's I, I love already. And I love that idea also about place. And we didn't really talk so oh, much yeah. about this, but just the whole notion that Stephen King had illuminated yes. a place that she had never visited, never known about, and that she hopes to do that with her Los Angeles. Yes. Who other writers have written about, but that's not hers. Her. Yeah, yeah, I love that. that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we could revisit this in an, a future podcast. I yeah. want to talk about place a little I, more. I think, yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun to do. I think of it often as another character. Yes, of course. And a story. Yeah. And just as important. Yeah. Um, sometimes more important. So. Yeah. All right, well, we'll circle back to that. But meanwhile, thanks so much, you out there in listener world, for joining us. And uh, we will be back next month with another guest. TBD, as we say. Yes, yes. <laughs> and um, and talking more, maybe maybe about place. We'll think about it this month and, and find out if we have more to share. Yes. So, thanks for joining us.